the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews. It's a picture of sin. It's a type of, it's typology of the world and sin and bondage to sin, okay? But the promised land is biblical typology of the future hope that we have, the ultimate reward of heaven, right? And by the way, Moses didn't lead the people in because Moses represents what? The law. It was Yahashua, it was Joshua, his protege, who led the people in. Joshua, Yahashua means the Lord is salvation. Joshua was a picture, a type of Christ. Isn't it incredible how God moved through history to foreshadow and foretell the coming Messiah? He brought Joshua to lead his people into the promised land because Joshua is a picture of Christ. Moses, who represented the law, couldn't bring the people into the promised land. Just like that, we can't make it into heaven through the law, but God made a way through the death of His Son. Pastor Gary is going to show us some incredible intricacies of God's master plan throughout history. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So we're in the middle of chapter 11 of Hebrews. And again, I'm intentionally taking our time to go through here because this is a great chapter that just encourages us in in how to be men and women of faith as we look at these great examples of people who have gone before us. And again, for those of you who are new, I'm going to rapidly go through this. This is familiar to others of you who have already been here through the study. There's a difference between saving faith and the gift of faith and living by faith. What we're reading about here in chapter 11 is not saving faith. We're we're not talking about the gift of faith. What we're talking about here are lives that uh, live by faith and trust God in situations where otherwise it might be difficult. Uh, Faith involves seeing, quote, seeing uh, what is unseen, you know, if, if you can exercise your physical senses, if you could, you know, taste, feel, hear, see, uh, then you wouldn't need to exercise faith. So faith is an exercise of a, of a spiritual sense. You know, we have our physical senses, but, but faith is that spiritual sense of trusting God in, in matters that are unseen. And faith is also an action. We talked about this as well. It's not just a feeling. The examples, uh, just three examples in this chapter about how Abel offered, Noah built, Abraham went. These are, these are verbs. These are 
action points. These are not just people who sat around and waited for God to do something. They, they acted on as much as they knew, and then they left the rest to God, right? Do your best and leave the rest, amen? That should just be a model life. You do your best. We only know in part. God knows all things, so we do our part, we do our best, and then we leave the rest. We trust Him with what we don't know and don't understand. So through chapter 11, there are 17 members of what we call the Hall of Faith, 17 people mentioned by name, and then there are other honorable mentions, just generic uh, references. We'll see some of that tonight as well. Uh, So far, we've looked at six of these people by name. We've looked at how Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are all mentioned here by name as, uh, as people who just really lived by faith and trusted God. And so we're going to continue our list here in verse 22. That's where we left off. We're going to talk about the next person on the list. Number seven on our list is Joseph. And so again, I want us to read through these, and we're only going to get a few, uh, through a few tonight. We'll probably wrap up chapter 11 next week. Um, but I, I want this to serve as, these are character studies, basically. We're going to be looking at these examples. I'm going to kind of be reminding, or maybe for some who are new to the faith or new to your Bibles, uh, maybe teaching you for the first time, just some background on these folks and why it is that these folks inspire us. You know, they're, they're given to us by name for, for a reason. We don't venerate them. We don't worship them. We don't idolize them. But we're thankful for their examples. Amen? And they're given to us on purpose. That's why God's listed them by name through the pen of the writer of Hebrews so that we might be encouraged in our faith. These are real people, everyday, ordinary, average people. Even though they're listed here in the Hall of Faith, it's not that they were, you know, spectacular individuals, and that's why God chose them. Often through the Bible, God chooses ordinary people to do His extraordinary work. That's just the way that He operates, so that He will get the glory and not man. So it's not that these people are like, well, when you read your Bibles, don't read these people about these people and think to yourselves, well, these are, you know, superheroes of the faith. I could never, you know, be like them. Yes, we can, because these are average people who are given to us as examples so that we might be encouraged in our everyday, ordinary lives too, in trusting the Lord. So we left off here with Joseph. Take a look here at verse 22, one verse about him. It says, by faith, Joseph, when his end was near spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Okay, now that's all that it says there about Joseph. Uh, for you who are new to the Bible, this is not Joseph, the, the uh, adoptive dad of Jesus. This is Joseph of the book of Genesis. And Joseph of the book of Genesis takes up a lot of press. Uh, about one-third of the book of Genesis is devoted to this guy. He's one of my personal favorites as far as just a great example of somebody who lived with integrity, uh, someone who lived with great character, someone who had virtue and, and honor. There's very little about Joseph that you can point to and say, well, that's not good. Uh, very little. I mean, he's, he wasn't perfect, but this guy is just a model example of somebody who just lived with integrity and honesty and character. I mean, probably the worst thing you can say about him is, you know, when he was a young punk, he, he talked about dreams and, and got his brothers jealous. And it kind of got him in trouble. You know, he's like, hey, God gave me a dream. And oh, by the way, and he was a favorite son of his father, which should not be. You know, we should never have favorites with our kids. 
We should, we should love all our kids equally, right? We should, you know, treat them differently only in respect to their different personality. So what works with one kid may not work with another, but we should love equally. And unfortunately, Joseph was the favored son of his father, Jacob. And so dad made a special coat for this guy. You know, and the coat of many colors, you know, and so he stands out like a sore thumb. And every time his brother saw him coming around, he had on daddy's special coat. So, you know, when you see, when you see your sibling wearing daddy's special coat, because you're daddy's special kid, after a while, resentment builds up, right? And so what happens is one time, young Joseph, about 17 years of age, has, has told his brothers one too many dreams about how he's the special kid and he's wearing the special coat and they... They treat him in a special way. <laughs> They're like, we're sick and tired of hearing you go on about how God's given you these dreams and we're going to bow down to you one day and you're wearing daddy's bathrobe and we're sick and tired of you just, you know, mouthing off and yada, yada, yada. And so we're going to show you. And so they throw him in a pit. They throw him in a hole in the ground. And then some Ishmaelites come along and the brothers of Joseph sell him off. Sell him. How much, how much, how much will you guys give us for this guy in the pit? Like, uh, we'll give you some money. Great. You know, anything to get rid of this guy. And so the Ishmaelites buy him like a slave. They sell him into slavery. And then the brothers go home to dad. Dad, whose kid, this is the favorite, right? And the brothers go home to dad and they're like, ah, oh, tragic thing happened to your favorite son. Here's, here's some, some shred, you know, some leftover shreds of his bathrobe that you gave him. You know, the special coat that you, that you love him so much you gave him and not us. Because he was, he was attacked by a wild animal. It was terrible. It's terrible. This wild animal came and, and it just it was awful. I can't even talk about it. You know, and they make up the whole story. They, they get an Academy Award and dad's heartbroken. And they don't care that dad's heartbroken either. But God's not done with Joseph. All right? He might have been betrayed by his brothers. And he might have been sold into slavery. And a lot of other things happen, unfortunately, to Joseph. He goes down to Egypt, ends up in Egypt. Many of you know the story. I'm summarizing the events of his life. He ends up down being sold in Egypt into the household of Potiphar. He's one of the chief officials in, that, in Pharaoh's court. And so Joseph ends up at the home of Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife makes some sexual advances towards him. And Joseph, with all integrity, says, no, thank you. She cries sexual assault. She makes up a story. You know, stuff we read about today, friends, it's been around. Everything's been around. Real sexual assault and made-up sexual assault. It's been around, okay? Obviously, there's real and there's made-up stuff. Potiphar's wife makes up stuff about Joseph. He's about 21 years of age at this point. He gets thrown into prison. He will spend the prime of his life in prison for a crime he did not commit. From the years about 21 until he's about 31, 32, 33, somewhere in that range, he spends in prison. Not once does he complain. Not once is he angry. He's not bitter. He's not resentful. He doesn't ask God why. I mean, again, you just look at this guy. He had integrity and purity that he would, that he would run from the advances. He had opportunity. The sexual advances that Potiphar's wife was making against him. He had opportunity. He runs because he wants to honor God. This isn't right. You're, you're a married woman. I'm a single guy who's wanting to be devoted to the Lord. This isn't right. Flees. Man of integrity. Ends up in prison. Serves time. Gets out. 
But God in the whole series of his life takes care of him and God promotes him and God has favor upon Joseph. And Joseph just trusts God through all of these terrible things. Brothers betrayed him, you know, uh, falsely accused, spends time in prison, and God continues to take care of him. When he gets out of prison, God promotes him to basically what would be the equivalent of like the prime minister of Egypt. He's second in command next to Pharaoh himself. Through the gracious hand of God, God providentially arranges all this because in the whole sovereign plan of God, what's going on back home in Israel with Joseph's now, you know, distant family, and for all they know, he's, he's long gone and dead, they're experiencing a famine in Israel. Joseph, in his wisdom, by God's revelation, has been stockpiling grain in Egypt. So when Joseph's long-lost family is about to die from famine, they make their way down to Egypt. And lo and behold, they don't even recognize their long-lost brother and their son Joseph. I mean, at this point, he's grown up now. He's into his, you know, mid-30s, approaching 40. He looks very Egyptian. He's got on the guy liner, the whole deal, right? Come on, you've seen pictures of Egyptians, right? Everything's been around, friends. There's nothing new. And so they got, they got, they got, he's got the guy liner, right? And, he, and he, all the mascara going, and he's speaking Egyptian. They don't recognize him. He's got the headdress, the whole, you know, and he walks like an Egyptian, the whole thing, right? <laughs> and so they don't even know who he is. And, and he recognizes them. Long story short, he reveals his identity, and he forgives his brothers. And there's this beautiful, many of you know how, how there's this beautiful story at the conclusion of the book of Genesis where... Joseph talks about how what you meant for evil, you brothers who intended to harm me and kill me and betray me, what you meant for evil, God intended for good, for his purposes. And God in his sovereign plan has worked everything out. It's okay, and I don't have any resentment, bitterness, anger. I forgive you. And he weeps. And God took care of Joseph. And his one request, when I die, there's great reconciliation with the whole family. He says, when I die, I want my bones carried back to Israel. I want my bones carried back to the promised land. Because he'd never go back there in his lifetime. From the time he was 17 and sold into slavery when he was betrayed by his brothers, he never again would see his homeland. And his heart was always back in his homeland. His life was in Egypt, but his heart was in Israel. It reminds me very much of David Livingston. Many of you are familiar with the medical missionary David Livingston. He was from from England. He lived in the 1800s. He died in 1873 of malaria and dysentery. But he was a missionary to Africa, a medical missionary. And he, David Livingston, in the 1800s, mind you, traveled 29,000 miles on foot as, as a medical missionary throughout Africa. And when he died of malaria and dysentery in what is today the equivalent of Zambia, that's where he died, in that location of Africa in the interior of Africa. He died in Africa. And the native people that he administered to and, and witnessed to and evangelized in the 1800s, okay, those wonderful African people carried his body on their shoulders for a thousand miles so that they could get to the coast of Africa where then his body could be put on a ship and sent back to England because he wanted to be buried back in England. But before they carried his body a thousand miles to the coast where it could get on a ship and be taken to England to be buried, 
the African people removed his heart and buried it there in a tree in Zambia. Because that was David Livingston's request. He said, you can bury my body in England, but my heart is here in Africa. And I will always have a heart for Africa. And so his heart was buried in Africa, but they took his body a thousand miles to get on a ship to be buried back in England. It's very similar in some ways here. Joseph is saying, my heart has always been in my homeland. I haven't seen it since I was 17. He says, make a promise to me that when I die, my bones will eventually be carried back to my promised land, back to the homeland, back to Israel. Now, what's interesting is that Joseph didn't really understand, but what would happen is there'd be 400 years of slavery. Because the Bible says that after Joseph died, the Pharaoh, sorry, after Joseph died and that Pharaoh with whom he served and for whom he served died, the next Pharaoh was not favorably disposed to the Jewish people, to the Hebrew people. And so the Hebrew people ended up being enslaved. Joseph's family who came down there to escape the famine of Israel ended up, 70 who, ended, who initially came, ended up being enslaved. They populated though while they were down there, and over the next 400 years, those 70 that came down ended up becoming three to three and a half million. And the Pharaoh and the succeeding Pharaohs over the next 400 years were not favorably disposed to the Hebrew people, and they enslaved them for those 400 years. And Joseph, not even necessarily understanding all that, maybe some of that was revealed to him by the Spirit, I don't don't know, but not even understanding all that, He's like, I want you to carry my bones back to my homeland. And so he gave that instruction. It's the closing verses of Genesis chapter 50. And then in Exodus 13, 19, it tells us that Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear on oath. And he had said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. So in Exodus 13, 19, we see that Moses is fulfilling the request of Joseph He takes the bones with him when eventually the Hebrew people are allowed to go by the providential hand of God, moving on the heart of Pharaoh. And Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land. He hands the bones off to Joshua, and it tells us in Joshua 24, 32, and Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. Somewhere between 300 and 400 years after the death of Joseph, his bones would eventually be buried in Shechem in the promised land. Now, listen, there's a lot of things that go through my head with this story. Like one question is, who kept track of the bones for 300 years? Who was that guy? Who was, who was Bone Boy? That's what I want to know. You know, who was that guy who's like, okay, I'm going to be responsible. Then before I die, now you're responsible. And then, and then that guy's like, okay, before I die, you're responsible. I mean, for goodness sakes, this had to be the providential hand of God. If I had said to anybody, listen, you know, carry my bones somewhere 400 years, 400 years later, let me tell you something, 10 years after I made that request, my bones would accidentally be in a blue recycling bin at the curb. People would forget. Be like, oh, whoops, sorry, we put your bones in a recycling bin and the truck's already come. That's just the way it would be for most of us. But for whatever reason here, in the providential hand of God, God's like, he makes sure that over the succeeding generations, for almost 400 years, Joseph's wishes are fulfilled and his bones are buried in the promised land. And it was as if, see, why is he mentioned here in the hall of faith? And this particular request, 
I want my bones buried in the promised land. Because he was looking ahead and he was looking forward. You see, in biblical typology, typology is just a fancy word that means some things in Scripture are symbolic of other things. In biblical typology, Egypt represents the world. And the Hebrew slaves, the slavery of Egypt, represents slavery to the world. Okay? It's a picture of sin. It's a type of. It's typology of the world and sin and bondage to sin. Okay? But the promised land is biblical typology of the future hope that we have, the ultimate reward of heaven, right? And by the way, Moses didn't lead the people in because Moses represents what? The law. It was Yahashua, it was Joshua, his protege, who led the people in. Joshua, Yahashua means the Lord is salvation. Joshua was a picture, a type of Christ. It's only through Christ that we get ultimately the promised land. And so the picture of faith here is that here's Joseph, this guy who, who's living in the type of this worldly environment, bondage to the world. Sin is our slave, right? We're slaves to sin. And then along comes eventually God's prophet, Moses, and then Joshua, his protege, the Lord of salvation, ushering the people into the promised land. And so there's this picture here, whereas Joseph was a man who by faith lived for what was the ultimate so by faith, we live for what is the ultimate. Just a, oh, He's a wonderful example of, of a man of faith. And so I'd encourage you, go back in your Bibles later and, and read the, the latter third of the book of Genesis because it's, it's devoted to, to his wonderful example. Well, uh, number eight on the list we see here now are Moses' parents. If you look in verse 23, it says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. Don't we all think that about our kids when they're born, right? There's something different here. They saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. All right, so they're not mentioned by name, but I'm putting their names up for you because we we do find their names elsewhere in Scripture. Actually, they're only mentioned twice in the Bible uh, by name in Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, and they're also mentioned by name in Numbers 26, verse 59. So Moses' dad's name is Amram, and his mother's name was Jochebed. Um, and by the way, just some free information, Exodus 6.20 tells us that Amram married his father's sister. Now everybody just collectively go, ew. All right, so now that we got that out of the way. So Jochebed was Amram's aunt. So Amram is the only person who could say that his son was also his cousin. Think about it. Well, probably not the only one. I've got some cousins in West Virginia who could say that too. But anyway. But just, you know, it's, it was the day. And so it's just kind of, you know, a little interesting. But anyway, I just throw that out to you. Free information. All right. Jochebed, by the way, is the first person in the Bible. This is Moses' mother. Who bears the name of God as part of her compound name. First person in all of the Bible who bears the proper name of God as part of her compound name, Yahabed. So the first part of her name is Yah, which is short for Yahweh. And Chabed, or Chabad, is the word in Hebrew for glory. So her name literally means is, her glory is God, Yahabed. 
And so these are Moses' parents, and they're listed here, again, not by name, just by reference, but we know their names in other parts of the Bible. And they're listed here as people of faith. Why? Well, because in Exodus chapter 1, again, now we're moving chronologically in the events. So Joseph dies, another pharaoh comes to the throne, who's not favorably disposed to the Hebrew people. He enslaves them, and among these Hebrew slaves now are Moses' parents. The book of Hebrews encourages its readers to stop relying on what they can do to be saved, known as living by the law. There's a better way, and it's through Jesus. Jesus came to earth and perfectly lived out His life never wavering from the law and always showing love and kindness. He was perfect and was also the perfect sacrifice for sin. He obediently died in your place so that you wouldn't need to face the punishment your sins deserve. And all you need to do is accept it. Are you ready to take this step of faith? Jesus is ready and waiting for you to step away from your old life with loving arms wide open. If you're making a decision for your Savior today, please let us know. You can send an email to prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd like to encourage you to find a Bible-teaching church in your area right away. It will be a place where you can grow and learn and find the support of community, of family. You're now part of a family of faith, after all. If you happen to be in the Leesburg area, consider yourself invited to Cornerstone Chapel. We meet weekly for worship and fellowship after studying the Bible together. You'll be able to get more information at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.